Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness of issues concerning animals. This includes advocacy, activism, protection, conservation, and importantly, appreciation. The show is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne on 855am. Thank you for to Sally for another great edition of Out of the Pan. Make sure you catch that 12 till 1 uh, every Sunday here on 3CR. And today we're introducing our newest member of the team. We've got Harley McDonald Eckersall. Uh, welcome to the team, Harley. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And we've also got Adam Cardellini joining us, um, usual host, as well as myself, Nick Pendergrass. And yeah, I wanted to make this show a little bit about the animal movement in general, but also introducing Harley and sort of where Harley fits in kind of this whole big movement and all that kind of stuff. So maybe if we start off with your story in terms of how you get got interested in um, concern for animals, activism for animals, all that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. No worries. Um, so my story is quite short, I guess, in the sense that I haven't been involved in activism for animals for a very long time. It's been about almost three years, I guess, since I went vegan and subsequently became involved in the fight for animal rights. But I guess it's also quite long in that I've had a lot of connection with animals for most of my life. So I grew up in the country, in South Gippsland, so dairy farming country. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up with lots of animals in my life, horses and dogs and cats. So I was always like aware of how animals were treated in a kind of vague sense in that I didn't live on a farm. I lived by the beach. I didn't really go to farms, but I always, you know, was quite dismissive of city kids who didn't know how the real world worked. Mm. And that was kind of how I lived my life for quite a long time, for 18 years. And then it was really when I moved to the city for uni that I started to become connected to the suffering and the the just the way animals are treated and exploited in a different way so i realized that even though i was like living amongst other animals and other species i was really disconnected from them and it was actually in moving away from them and being less close to them physically that i became more connected to them on an emotional level so i went to university and as a lot of first year university students do i studied philosophy philosophy quite pretentiously i'll be honest with a barrow yeah of course and you know smart little vest and i said witty things in class so that happened but through that kind of pretentious phase of my life i did become exposed to the concept of other animals being more than just tools for human use and that kind of developed within me until eventually through conversations with vegans that I knew I decided to stop eating animals and their products and stop using them and then from that I just happened to be really lucky to meet a bunch of people who I formed the organization I'm a part of our young voices for animals so we formed that together and I was a very new vegan at that point let alone activist so I was really lucky to kind of be welcomed into that space and I learned pretty much everything I know about anti-speciesism and how to build a fight that kind of centers other animals 
from that group. So yeah, now here I am today, a couple of years later, we've been running Young Voices of Animals for two years and have been getting involved in different areas of animal advocacy as well. That's kind of my journey. And you, you will have heard, Harley, on previous episodes of Freedom of Species where we've spoken about young voices for animals. And I think there was another, was there another episode that you were part of or was just the one? I think it was just the one, yeah. yeah. No, you put us in touch with some people from Young Voices for You're Animals welcome. as well. Yep. And that was great, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's interesting that idea of, and I think my story very much sort of uh, mimics Harley to a degree, although certainly not the country aspect, but that <laughs> idea of always sort of feeling this connection with animals and, you know, not wanting to harm them. And I think that's where a lot of people come from. And in my case, and it's like your case as well, it was like we already were sort of were vegans in our head, mm. but it was more about changing our behaviour to be in line with that, whereas other people maybe um, don't actually respect animals and then actually have this big change in, and sort of become vegan. So maybe to Adam, how how did you was that a sort of did you always feel this kind of connection to animals or was it more um yeah something that like veganism was a big change and shift rather than just changing habits um a bit of both so i I definitely had a connection with um certain animals like Mm. many of us i i best friends for all of my life have been dogs basically Mm. and so i had a very strong connection with dogs for a long time um and very problematic relationship with other animals because my family many of my family were hunters so I just took on many of those um those ideas that it's okay to hurt some animals and love others um and I I was one of those annoying people that would bag out vegetarians and say oh surely you can't be a vegetarian like what do you do (laughs) and then a year in, in university I was annoying someone I knew who was a vegetarian <laughs> and um, and two years later I was annoying him about not being vegan <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah there was a there was a fairly drastic change and that really came I've spoken about it on the radio before on the show but it basically came about um, speaking with some people that really changed my mind and got me to think about animals as individuals and understand that they have lives themselves mm. and also seeing what my behaviors did to animals mm. um, directly yeah, like I, I see that so much. Like I was so similar. Like um, in high school, my sister, she saw a really cute picture of a pig and she decided to stop eating pigs. And I gave her so much shit. Like mm. I was relentless. Mm. Like I was, you know, used to joke that, you know, oh, what if I showed you cute pictures of vegetables? Now I look back and I'm like, wow, I was the vegan troll that everyone hates. <laughs> but yeah, and now the way, yeah, I think like the way I see it is that it was, realizing like coming to the realization that the way I'd been taught to love and respect animals was not real I guess it's like Mm. you know because I'd always been taught like you know respect other respect animals and you have to be kind to animals and that animal cruelty is wrong and then I realized that the way I'd been taught to live though went totally against all those concepts of respect and I, I think like I see that a lot like where people kind of think there's people who are being cruel or being um, doing something that's just abhorrent. They don't understand it. But in reality, it's like they've just been taught to love mm. the wrong way. Yeah. Mm. And and um, being taught not to be critical. I think that's a big part for me was my, my uncritical way of thinking about how I mm. was using animals and how others use and society uses animals. And I think one of the big differences in veganism is that you start to think critically about our use of animals. And this this doesn't actually translate to all other forms of critical thinking. I mean, there's a, there's a large 
portion or at least there is a significant portion in the vegan population who are uncritical about other things mm-hmm. about um, whether it be vaccination or other other um, sort of healing things or whatever mm. um, so we're not taught to think critically and um, and question mm. these strong myths about the way we live and I think Nick does research on this frames the mm. the dominant frames that society has around animals mm. um, we just grew up with them and we're not taught to criticize them and in science my background in science absolutely true it is expected that you will use animals you'll respect them quotation marks <laughs> um, but you'll use them and you'll never cri- you'll never critically think about whether that use is actually okay or not mm. yeah mm. and uh, yeah that's interesting in terms of uh, discussions we've had around the show about intersectionality in terms of yeah i guess taking an approach to animal advocacy that absolutely values animals and challenges speciesism but at the same time doesn't disregard human oppression and forms of discrimination amongst humans so yeah, i do think there is sort of and obviously people fall in all kinds of different ways but i think uh some of the ways in which people fall is some people sort of go vegan and that sort of opens the door to think critically about everything mm. in society um environmental issues human oppression and everything um whereas other people maybe weren't too politically engaged before they become vegan and go well this is so important everything else is unimportant and mm. kind of just take on the dominant ideology when it comes to other issues even though they are critical of speciesism mm. so i'm curious for you harley um it was yeah, were you into other social justice issues and then sort of veganism sort of fit within that or was it the other way around or how how did how did you sort of go with that yeah yeah i guess i kind of saw myself as, uh, like looking back i was very much like a passive supporter of like equality and justice and all that so i grew up in a pretty politically engaged family mm. um i grew up in quite a low-income family as well so i was very much aware of like um, issues of like classism and stuff and mm. but i was always very like righteously pissed off about things like you know um, women's rights and refugee rights and lgbti rights and all that i was always the person in class who would like put my hand up and go this is so wrong and blah 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 and yeah i kind of was i guess known as that person um and i like to think of myself as very politically engaged and stuff but there was it was very passive it was very much like I had the views and I listened to the people who were saying the same things that I was saying. But again, I wasn't really taught to think critically. It was that it's just that the frames that I was taught to view society with were maybe more progressive than the frames other people were view. Some other people were taught to view society with, particularly in the small country town that I lived in. Mm. So I feel like for me, when I went vegan, it did open up me a lot I think it became I became a lot more critical because and that started out of a place of being really angry and being like just feeling betrayed I guess like feeling like this can't be happening like how did I not know this for so long like how did I kind of not make this connection that how wrong this is for so long and I think that made me quite cynical to be honest but Mm. I think that cynicism has since transformed into kind of an openness to what's wrong with society. And then that lasted for a while. So I think I became more open to like seeing other issues in society and being aware of them and having conversations about them and actively educating myself, like Mm. not just kind of being like, that's wrong, like going and doing the work and doing the research and having the hard conversations and kind of allowing my mind to be changed and allowing my frames to be changed. And that kind of existed for a while. And now I think I'm transitioning to 
another phase where I'm still really open to all that, but I'm also thinking about solutions as well mm. rather than just thinking about the problem. So, mm. yeah, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that um, if I think back um, of, I was really excited to hear about um, Young Voices for Animals mm. and the work that you and your um, colleagues are doing in that space. And I think that actually reflects what you're saying there. So we, uh, many of us have all this anger and this rage that we don't know where to place. We've got pretty good educations mm. um, or we can find out information um, pretty easily now if we look for it. So we've got, we, we have all this, all, see all this injustice, but we're not taught how to be active yep. about that and how to um, do something about that and, and release that rage in an effective and useful way. Mm-hmm. And I think Young Voices for Animals is really trying to help young people harness or channel that rage mm. into actions that are actually meaningful for yeah. animals rather than just yeah like i was exactly the same in in high school and in university always the sort of one that was angry about the way yeah. things were but not doing a lot mm. because we're never taught how to do that so mm-hmm. i love that um eva for instance is is sort of helping teach people how to take that next step and actually be active in that space mm. um yeah i think we need many more, many more um, people and groups and organisations and individuals sharing that knowledge of how to be active and um, and act on that rage, use that rage for good, good uses. Yeah. And I think we're often told that that anger, we should hide it because it makes us look like bad, you know, bad vegans. Like, oh, you can't look angry because otherwise no one will want to join the movement. But we're not taught what to do with that anger. Mm, so I feel like a lot of people right. just kind of internalise it, whereas really like, of course we're angry, like completely justified. <laughs> yeah. Like everyone in society really should be angry. But it's like how we use that anger and how we kind of turn it into positive action. Mm. Yeah. That's right. And I was keen to go back to your philosophy degree because as, <laughs> as uh, Adam touched on that, yeah, I guess like academia is kind of meant to be about mm. critical thinking, but it is still sort of a part of society. And so like a philosophy degree sort of operates within a framework of a species of society, um, but there are still more critical views within that, et cetera. But I'm just wondering, yeah, did you find in that class that a lot of people and texts and stuff were sort of reinforcing speciesism or was there open um, more room for more open mm. discussions about challenging speciesism? Well, I actually did a theatre degree. Oh, I just okay. did a, a couple of units in philosophy. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, definitely. I think, so we studied Peter Singer mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. my first year of uni. That was in the philosophy units I took. And I think that's really interesting to me to look back on because on one hand, like that reading that was what kind of opened my mind to this idea of like equal consideration of interests and that animals mm. deserve to be treated as active like participants in their own life but now I look back and I wouldn't like subscribe to a lot of the stuff that Peter Singer says so it's yeah this really interesting thing where it's like you read something and you don't see the speciesism until you're kind of further along the line yeah Mm. so I think yeah like I think there was a lot of like most philosophy texts that I read was extremely human-centered like they're mm-hmm. extremely about like how can we be the best people that we can be? How yeah. can – it's like well, this is particularly when I was looking at moral philosophy. Um, it's like how can we do the best? How can we make sure that we're um, leading towards, yeah, like this kind of not getting like moral debt and all mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really interesting concept and something that I see a lot in all kinds of writing and also in all kinds of like advocacy methods a lot of it's about like 
how can we be good people mm. rather than how can we build a world where everyone has the opportunity to lead a good life. Yeah. Kind of so mm. I think I definitely saw a lot of that in university and it took me a long time to realize that because for a while that's what it was about for me. It was mm. like, well, I'm not being a good person. I'm being a hypocrite. Mm. I'm not aligning to my values by continuing to eat animals or by continuing to remain uneducated on this issue. And then, and that was fed a lot by academic texts and by um, classes which had a very human-centric focus. And I'm really interested, I'm interested to hear both of your perspectives as well, I guess, on how, like, that concept, like, how do we move away from, like, centering humans when we're talking to humans? Mm. <laughs> okay, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think as humans discussing animals, it's always going to be human-centric. Mm. So I guess in terms of moving away from human-centrism, I don't think it's something we'll ever achieve, but I think it's something we kind of need to work mm. towards. I guess a little bit similar to being like a, a white ally to people of colour or a male mm. ally to, to women and fem feminism and that kind of thing. It's like, I don't think it's ever something like we've done where it is like you should constantly be striving towards. And I think the same is like always trying to check our language, check what we're saying, check our sort of framing in terms of are we just talking about us being good or our nation mm. being good or are <laughs> we talking about animals themselves? So, yeah, I think it's just something we've constantly got to work towards. But Adam? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that that help about that is one is um, taking animal perspective and mm. making sure that when we are thinking about things that we do um, consider the animal's perspective mm. um, in what we're going to do or what we're thinking about. And the other is, I, I really like what you were saying there is, is how can we get outside our, our own heads and think about the lives of animals, not just talking about um, I'm going to be a good person and that the action that we are taking is something we need to think about, mm. but rather say animals deserve lives and to live lives unaltered by us um, unnecessarily. So we create that space. And I, it, it's, it's a weird thing. It's, I'm not really articulating it well, but it's sort of like I don't, I don't think I'm a good person because I'm not going around punching people in the face. Mm, yeah. It's just normal <laughs> life, you know. I'm not going yeah. down to um, the middle of Melbourne and, and clocking someone in the back of their head. <laughs> That doesn't make me a good person. It just makes me someone living in society. Mm. And I think if we get to the point where animals are just considered to be living in society and we're living in society with animals mm. and stabbing them in the throat is not something we do in a normal day, mm. then I think that we're there. And we don't have to have it as centred around I'm being a good person because I'm not stabbing someone in the, th yeah. in the throat, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I, I'm not articulating it no, well, no, I but... No, I get yeah, yeah. yeah, and I think Singer, um, I definitely agree, similar, like when I first heard Singer, just even the concept of speciesism, which I've never mm. heard before, and how it's sort of, there's parallels with racism and sexism, that really spoke to me as someone who was sort of already into those human-focused social justice issues, but then, yeah, a lot of Singer's work I do find quite speciesist, for example, like, visit the slaughterhouse, see if you're okay with the yeah. slaughter, and, and like, like Adam said, like, well, what, what does the what animal if, feel yeah. about the slaughter? So, yeah, I think that is, that is important to constantly try and um, yeah. push that. I mean, we yeah, utilitarianism should always be questioned anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in and, a human context. Too, and, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, um, and Sinning's book was written in the 70s. I mean, the yeah. movement has and the thought in that space has moved a lot and there's mm. some mm. great thinkers yeah. that have added mm. to um, animal liberation thinking Definitely. since yeah. then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, I think we might go to a track now. Let's go to now. What we've been doing on the show recently, at least some of the time, is doing something other than songs. So we've had some uh, vegan stand-up comedy. We've had some little clips from documentaries. This week we're going to play a little bit of the audio book Hunger Games: Catching Fire. Um, are either of you familiar with Hunger Games or kind of know that? A little bit. Yes. You are okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so basically, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this more after we play it. But I just think we can make some parallels here because basically, in the Hunger Games, there's people from all the poorer districts, the poorer areas they all have to fight once a year uh fight to the death uh basically just for entertainment for the capital and the capital which is like the rich district and also to sort of pay for their sins of previously trying to overthrow this sort of rich district um and yeah basically in this uh little section we'll play uh the main character katniss talks about how the people in the capital so these are the victors so they've won the hunger games and they've got to come back and all these people have won the hunger games are gonna you've got to fight to the death and they're not so sure about this because they've sort of connected with the people now and they know their stories and that kind of thing. So I thought I'd play this and then we'll link it to animals after the break. But it's something of a revelation that those in the capital feel anything at all about us. They certainly don't have a problem watching children murdered every year, but maybe they know too much about the victors, especially the ones who've been celebrities for ages, to forget we're human beings. It's more like watching your own friends die. Celebrate International Women's Day with 3CR. On Friday the 8th of March, we'll bring you 24 hours of non-stop radio by, for and about women. Join 3CR's fabulous women playing music from both local and international musicians in metal, electronica, to rock and everything in between. Wake up to early morning current affairs from our national broadcasters followed by a whole morning dedicated to First Nations voices and a special live broadcast from the rally at the State Library between 5.30 and 6.30pm. For the full day's program, visit our website at 3cr.org.au. International Women's Day 24-hour broadcast, Friday the 8th of March 2019. Tune in at 8.55am, 3CR Digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR and yeah, we just heard a track or a little bit of the audiobook Hunger Games Catching Fire and the way in which their people uh, in the capital, the rich area of this uh, yeah, this, this story, um, don't want to see the, the victors or the people who have won the Hunger Games fight because they know too much about them. Uh, and I just wanted to make some quick connections to that to animals in that you know, we, we often say things like, you know, like we're okay with eating pigs as a society and, and that kind of thing. But what you'll see often in cases where, say, one pig falls off a slaughterhouse truck, for example, on the way through, you will see uh, people across the board, like not just vegan animal advocates, but people across the board saying, let's not kill that pig. Like, yeah, the others, kill them, that's fine. But this one, because they now have a story and, and that we know too much about mm -hmm. them, let, there, there's often, like, huge campaigns, let's make sure this one goes to a sanctuary, even though this one is is no different, or, I mean, is different, but is no more valuable than the other pigs who are on their way to slaughter. Um, and so, yeah, once we get that connection to uh, humans or other animals, we, yeah, don't want to harm them, don't want to kill them usually. Uh, mm -hmm. Anything either of you want to add to that or Harley, anything about Hunger Games in general and parallels to animals, <laughs> if you're a fan? Um, no, that just made me really think about uh, the book Every 12 Seconds. Um, Timothy Packerad, is it? 
I think that's his name. Probably got his name wrong, but please excuse me. Um, Yeah, he tells... So basically he was like a social studies kind of academic and he decided to go like undercover in a slaughterhouse for... Originally it was, I think, a year, but he only lasted like five months maybe because it was just so intense. So he went undercover in a slaughter... Working in a slaughterhouse for... In the US for a couple of months. And he tells in his book of this story of one day where a cow had escaped from another slaughterhouse and they'd kind of like run down the street and like they'd been like evading capture and that and they came into like an alleyway which was right next to the slaughterhouse that he worked at and the police kind of came in and they'd cornered the cow and they ended up shooting the cow and killing the cow and a lot of the people who'd working in the slaughterhouse that he worked out were standing there and they saw it and he said that the next day over like their lunch break and that people were talking about it and they were really like horrified mm. and they were like just disgusted at the police for shooting this cow mm. and they were talking about and then there were quite a few people there who were like had, were like immigrants and like quite a few people from Mexico as well and one of the people who was from Mexico said like they shot that cow like they would shoot one of us like the mm. police shot that cow mm. and then they went back inside and went back to their jobs and he said for him it was just this real like yeah waking up that these people, like, they care. They really care. But it's a job. And I think that, yeah, that really made me think of that where it's like, it's so true. It's like when you have a story, it's so much harder to just think of, like, this is just a job. It becomes this is an individual whose life I'm taking rather than this is just my job. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, it kind of comes back to what we we're talking about. Like, it makes you stop centering yourself a bit because you realize that there's someone else in the mm. story. Mm. And that's that's um, actually exactly how I felt when I was doing my research. That it was I killed lots of birds um, and it, it was... It, I actually, I would get frustrated when the bird would try to live and try mm. to escape me mm. and because it was extending this stressful period and I just, I needed them to die mm. for my research, which is horrible. Um, and didn't need to happen, but that's how I thought about it. And it was it was really traumatic for me, which is stupid. I was doing it. I should have been more critical about that. But because of this, like they, yeah, you you don't you to to disassociate from that trauma and the, uh, recognizing that you're taking a life, you start to not see them as individuals. Mm-hmm. Well, that's certainly how I felt. And mm-hmm. I've got a friend who also worked in a. Um, an animal house they're called at a at a, um, a education institute institution in Victoria where they would keep animals keep rats mice um, reptiles for students to do experiments on or to do mm. research on part of their education which is a whole nother topic and very um, useless and at the same time we had two rescue rats at home and I got into a really significant argument with this friend because he I, I was trying to sort of discuss that issue like you're killing rats all day and he he actually was feeling traumatized by this process mm. I think and not recognizing it not seeing it um, and he got really upset with me when I tried to suggest that the rats he was killing were the same as my rats at home mm. and he denied it very strenuously saying they're not the same because your rats have someone who cares about them mm. and yeah, it just puts that it really in contrast that it is. I think it's almost a, a way of making sure we we can do the jobs that we're we're given, yeah. and we don't break down basically 
Yeah, yeah I, I still I still have significant um, regrets and really large emotions around my my treatment mm. of the birds I was working with, mm. working on. Yeah, and I think I think it's a little bit similar to the issue with like the droughts or the floods, and often mm. people are quite upset uh, for the animals. Sometimes just for the sake of the farmers, as we kind mm. of touched on a recent <laughs> show. But either way, there is some people who are like, oh, this is really sad. These animals have drowned or have died because of the drought, etc. And I, I think, um, yeah, I think you were tweeting about this, Adam and Nick Taylor, who is a sociologist working on animals, saying we sort of it's it's like sort of it's normalized if animals are killed in a certain way so we often mm. become desensitized to that as mm. harley said often maybe not directly if we're not slaughterhouse workers but the idea okay that's regulated by the government mm. that's uh, what whatever have a way we justify it but then again if we sort of go back to that animal perspective really what happens whether the animals uh, die in a flood die in a drought um, die in, on the ship on the way in a live export or are just killed in australian slaughterhouse whatever like for the animal like of course there are differences and degrees mm. but it's really horrible for the animal in all of those cases um but yeah we sort of become desensitized because it's sort of legitimized and normalized in all mm. these different ways yeah. and i think that's why there can be these outrage when it's it's done with a gun which is not the normal way yeah. or it's mm. done because of a natural disaster etc yeah. yeah yeah and i think like to add to that it's that issue of like justifiable death Mm. like I see that so I've recently kind of became a bit more active in like the environmental movement and I've had a couple of conversations already so I have two rescue bunnies who I live with and they're fantastic but I've had a couple of conversations already where you know someone will ask me like oh do you have any pets quotation marks Mm. and I'll be like yeah I have two bunnies they're fantastic and they'll be like hmm Bunnies are pests right and I'm like (laughs) have to have this kind of awkward conversation where it's like yeah, these people who in other respects are probably, like they might even be vegan as mm. a lot of environmentalists these days, uh, at least, well, at least vegetarian. Um, and I'll have this conversation where it's like justifiable death because mm. I'll kind of explain yeah. that, yeah. yes, but, and try and explain like, you know, that there are also individuals who have lives that matter to them and also that the way bunnies are killed like as pests is horrific. Like, even if it was justifiable, it's horrific. And, yeah, but it's like I live in constant fear and everyone who kind of has bunnies in their lives lives in constant fear that they will get infected by one of the many um, viruses that is released by the government to kill rabbits, which Mm. causes, like, mass internal bleeding. And it's just, I don't even know how anyone thought it was a good idea. And I'll have these conversations with people who just stick to this idea that, but it's justified. They're pests. Mm -hmm. And it's such a strange thing where it's like, yeah, like you were saying, Nick, it's like there's certain ways and for certain reasons that it's okay to kill individuals, but there's other ways that are just abhorrent and people were shocked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I suppose it goes back to, I think it goes back to um, some of what you were saying at the start, this idealized farm life or this idealized state of nature that it should be some way i was listening to the abc um, radio national yesterday um, and they had a guest on who had been sick of working in the city and went back to the out to the farm to raise sheep and they were talking about him raising sheep they didn't talk about him killing sheep they actually they did ask if he killed the sheep and he's like yes you know now i know what nature is really about and I'm much more connected to things. And it's sort of like 
can't we connect to life and to nature as herbivores? You know, yeah. I'm sure that there's, are we saying that cows are not connected <laughs> to nature? Are we saying that all of these animals who don't kill other animals are somehow unconnected to nature? We can live with and be in nature and not kill animals. Mm-hmm. I just, it's this really, it's this central idea that to be part of, to be a real person and to be part of nature and respect animals, we need to kill them. Be part of the food chain. Yeah, it's just such a myth. And I, I think for a great critique of that, there's a song we've played a few times, but Propagandy, it's called Human with a bracket around the E, like humane, hu- human, <laughs> humane, meet the flensing, well, what is it? The something of Sandor Katz, but basically Sandor Katz wrote a book on ethical eating, which um, Chris Hanna, the singer of Propagandy, so it was actually overall a pretty decent book. But then he had this one par- one chapter on like ethical eating of animals and all this stuff, mm. that, as they're saying, relating <laughs> to animals and stuff like that. And so they basically flip it around and basically the song is basically about like all the things sandal cats are saying are so great for animals they're saying doing to this author and flipping that around in human context and it really just shows the absurdity and it just shows that these arguments can only be sustained with speciesism because as soon as we're into a human context it doesn't make any sense at all it sounds totally um ridiculous yeah uh, but I also wanted to step back a little bit and um, talk about some of the different factions within the movement. So, yeah, we've touched on this a little bit already. We're mentioning Singer and that kind of thing. But, yeah, I was very impressed. Uh, I went along and spoke at Young Voices for Animals and saw a little bit of um, Harley and Dilan from Young Voices for Animals speak. And, um, yeah, I've done a PhD on this and it was definitely as as informative as, as anything I've done and definitely a lot more pretty with the graphics and PowerPoints and that. So I was very impressed. <laughs> and uh, so I was wondering maybe you'd talk a little bit about uh, some of these different factions within the animal movement for those who might not be familiar and also I guess like maybe where you sit now or have you sort of gone between these different factions as you've sort of got involved with activism? Yeah definitely so thinking back to that presentation (laughs) um, yeah so basically what we were trying to do there is we had a group of young people and we took them through a four-week kind of development program which was kind of educational but also empowering and in that workshop what we were trying to do is kind of lay out what the animal rights kind of movement looks like right now. And we kind of did so by putting things a bit on the spectrum. So we hear a lot about like this idea of like there being conflict and yeah, conflict (laughs) between like the idea of rights, animal rights and the idea of like animal welfare. And we thought about that and we decided to do away with that a bit because we realized that rather than it having that kind of like some people cared about animals, like, you know, having a better life, whereas some people cared about animals being free and free to live their own life, we realized that it was more that some people were more focused on this idea of like reformist change, Mm. like changing the system we're in, whereas other people were more um, wanted to focus on like radical change, like making a new system. So we kind of decided to think about that a bit more and we decided to, we started placing things on this spectrum. So this spectrum of reform to radical and it kind of, it created this really interesting thing for us because we realized that a lot of groups that are even groups that are kind of have this mentality of like, we're trying to aim for radical change are actually using like Mm. campaigns that are based around reformist tactics. So I think that's been a really interesting little exploration Mm. for me particularly because like recently I've been doing a lot of research into kind of nonviolent conflict and nonviolent campaigns and stuff. And it's led me to the realization that a lot of the time, like you have to aim for like symbolic victories. Mm. And sometimes those symbolic victories don't look like what you want them to look like in the end. 
but it's about like figuring out what is going to work towards a goal. So I think the factions that I see at the moment are people who have goals that are actually kind of not really goals that are what we want to see. Mm. So I think something we talk about quite a bit is that there's a lack, a bit of a lack of hope and a bit of a lack of vision in the movement. Like some people don't seem to believe that we can actually have a future where we live in a world where, you know, animals aren't horribly exploited. And I feel like that leads to, you know, trying to work towards a lot smaller like reforms to our system, like make better systems. And I'm definitely not against that. I think reforms are really important, but I think they're really important and really effective and really positive when they are in line with this vision of a few, like an actual future, the yep. future that we all want. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what I see at the moment. It's a bit of a lack of hope. And mm -hmm. I've definitely feel that myself sometimes that how can we even imagine a future that's different? And then I kind of like, you know, think about his history and how people have made change. And I'm like, oh yeah, things are <laughs> different. So <laughs> I try and try and try and think whenever I'm working towards something, like what is the ideal state? And then what are like the big rocks that are in the way of us getting to that state? Absolutely. And then how can mm. we break through those rocks? Mm. And I, there's a very big parallel with the environmental and particularly the climate movement at the moment mm. um, and how... There's lar many large NGOs that have been talking about, you know, stop Adani or stop this coal mine or stop mm. that coal mine, save the reef. But they, they have these goals, but then they have actions that aren't actually anywhere near reaching the goal or the, the final goal of actually um, getting to safe a safe climate. Mm -hmm. So they, they're sort of dressing things up as they, they don't really know where they want to get to, basically, mm. and they're not doing enough to get there anyway. But the, the climate emergency movement is trying to flip that and say, okay, we need to know what the goal actually is, yeah. which is a safe climate. What does that mean? It means we need to stop all coals, get to zero, draw down and radical um, change in our economic energy systems and, and agricultural systems. And I suppose we don't yet have the type of movement that is that is thinking very strategically about that end goal, like the yeah. climate emergency, what is the animal emergency group? I don't, exactly. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Mm. no, completely. And I think it's, yeah, it's definitely lacking. And I feel like it's, it, it probably comes, well, I feel like it comes from a bit of like, the hard thing about animal rights, I think, is we're in a climate where a lot of, like a lot of, there's a lot of political action happening around different movements. And a lot of movements are really progressing quite quickly. And there's a lot of like action around, different campaigns, different areas of inequality, which is fantastic. The thing with the animal movement is it's ha it's existing in this time, but it's like a long way behind. Mm. Like we haven't got like rights for animals yet in most countries, like any kind of rights. We haven't got really, really, we haven't progressed past kind of basic, oh, we want to take care of them. We don't yeah. want to <laughs> be cruel to them. Mm. So it's like we're existing at a point where we're kind of like trying to, jostle space with a lot of movements who are really far ahead of us in their fight yeah. so and i think that's quite hard and i think what we were talking about earlier where some people not being particularly politically engaged being like wow this is the most important thing so no one else nothing else matters i think that makes it even harder because it's like it just kind of keeps 
keeping us separate. Like mm. we're always going to be separate yeah. from the other groups. But I think like the way I see it is that even though we're not as kind of far advanced, even though we don't have all that development and all that history behind us, we have a lot of history, but we don't have all that kind of like intergenerational activism. We can still really work with other movements and take um, a lot of inspiration from them. Like what you were saying about that Cliveman emergency movement, like figuring out what is this goal? What is this ideal world? And even if it's going to take us a long time to get there, how do we start getting there now? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Mm. And I think it's really important as a movement that, you know, when there's debates going on about, you know, battery battery cage bans and mm. these kind of things, like, you know, some activists will want to engage with that, others won't. But I think either way, whatever we're doing of having those discussions about the utopias we want to create, like what would a vegan world look like? How mm. What would it look like? How, how can we get there and keep these bigger, that bigger goal in mind as, as we go forward? But we better take a break and we'll play a quick track this is uh i'm not coming to your barbecue by color me wednesday talking about the i guess some of the social issues that vegan can vegan can um face uh going against the grain i'm not coming to your barbecue not that you'd invite me Anarchy is on over the long weekend, March 9th to 11th at Camp Eureka in Yarra Junction. The aim is to bring anarchists, families, friends and those interested together. Come share ideas, skills, food, music and laughter. There is a bunch of radical workshops and skill shares over the weekend. Check out our website campanarchy.org or contact us on info at campanarchy.org or via the Anarchist Events Facebook page. Camp Anarchy is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR and we're joined by the newest member of the Freedom of Species team, um, Harley mcdonald Eckersall, and, yeah, discussing basically, yeah, some of the issues in the movement, where Harley fits within that movement, etc., Uh, But in this last section, we wanted to start off with, um, yeah, a quick plug for the Student Climate March. And I mean, this is something we've touched on a lot on the show uh, recently and today briefly as well, that I think we can understand environmental issues sort of as animal issues as well. When we hear about environments being destroyed or climate change or whatever, this is definitely something that affects individual animals as well. So I thought it was worth uh, promoting this, even though we're an animal show. Uh, So just a quick plug for the event. To everyone who cares about a safe climate future, this is your open invite to join our school. School for Climate March on, uh, sorry, School Strike for Climate on March 15. Students standing up when the, our politicians won't. 
So on March 15th, school, school students are walking out of school to tell our politicians to take all of us seriously and start tre treating climate change for what it is, a crisis and the biggest threat to our generation and generations to come. So, yeah, this is happening all around the world. But in terms of the Melbourne event, it is Friday 15th of March 2019 from 12 till 2 p.m. at the Old Treasury Building, 20 Spring Street in Melbourne. And also wanted to briefly mention that academics can sign a letter of support offering their support to um, this school climate strike and also all those taking a stand for the future of the planet. So I've shared links to both of those on the Freedom of Species Facebook and Twitter pages. You can find us on Facebook just by searching Freedom of Species and you can also uh, find us on Twitter at FOS Radio 2. So yeah, I wanted to... Um, Harley's sort of talked, spoken a bit about where sort of you've come from the, in, in how you've got into the movement, that kind of mm. thing. But you mentioned Young Voices for Animals. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the campaigns you're doing now or how how, um, how people can get involved with Young Voices for Animals, et cetera? Yeah, sure. So uh, last year we actually did – this is our first full year of operating, so we did two major things. We did a youth leadership and development workshop and we also ran a youth animal rights conference. So – after that we're all a bit tired so we've taken a bit of a break and at the moment we're kind of in in-depth planning mode for 2019 so we've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up which we'll be we'll be announcing pretty soon so yeah definitely stay tuned for all that and there'll be a lot of opportunity more opportunity this year for young people to actually get involved with the organizing of eva so Definitely give us a like on Facebook. We're just If you just search Young Voices for Animals, you'll find us pretty easily. You can also find our website, which is www.eva.org.au. Um, and yeah, definitely keep an eye out for that because we're really wanting more young people to get involved in what we're doing and organizing and telling us what you want. So that's really exciting for us. So yeah, keep in touch. Cool. And I thought in these last few minutes, we might talk a little bit about the rise of veganism, which is something that we've uh, spoken about recently in the show. And as vegan, you know, more, ve more and more vegan products come into the supermarket, there starts to become these uh, debates and dilemmas for vegans. And one I saw in a vegan magazine recently was this idea of should the mock meats and also the non-dairy cheeses, etc., mm. would you like them placed in with the other stuff, like the, the animal products, or would you prefer them in a specific vegan or the more sort of health food section of the tofu and that kind of thing so either of you have any thoughts on that where would you like to see it place i i'm of two minds i mean yeah. i'd prefer mm. it for me mm. i'd prefer it placed where i'm not having to go and mm. stand next to a, a fridge full of dead dead animals mm. but um i think it's it's better placed for people who are um, going to come across it as meat eaters um, in those sections. They're, they will walk straight past a vegan section mm -hmm. in a supermarket, I think. So probably better placed for the larger number of people with the, um, with the cheese and the, and the animal flesh. Mm. Yeah. What do you think, Harley? Yeah, I think I'm pretty similar to Adam in that for me, like I hate walking past the, the animal flesh section of the supermarket and even just smelling it makes me feel sick. But also... I feel like as well as making it more easy for the people who aren't vegan, who are going to try this, it's also, it kind of normal, it starts to normalize this idea that animal products are just as valid as food. They're not just for vegans. They're not just for, you know, freaky hippies to like eat because they're weird. It's like people start to associate food and, you know, even meat with vegan meat rather mm -hmm. than animal flesh so i think for that reason like that political statement as well as the convenience factor i'm definitely for like 
having it all kind of together and I see it as being quite yeah like that idea it's like leading towards a society where we want where the whole flesh section transforms into a a meat section which is vegan meat so yeah and i mean recently um not sure if we spoke about it last time but is it tyson's food a horrible large company like the biggest the biggest um meat producing company in the world i think Mm. um they've just announced in the last month or so that they're going to be putting a lot of research and development into vegan products Mm. so they that is a huge announcement and I imagine that they'll be placing things probably next to meat. So mm. yeah, like like Harley said, normalizing, mm. normalizing vegan food. And mm. you know, veganism now has a really positive. Often vegan food now has a positive um, aspect where people think, oh, it is healthier. Mm. So they might be sitting there and they're going, oh, you know, the doctor said don't eat too much mm. meat. Oh. Mm. I'll get this vegan bit yeah. instead of getting mm. the um the cow the the, the cow um, mints. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think that um yeah probably another option. Uh, some of these people said this in the article that maybe I could do it in both, and that way it's I, I, vegans have to walk through those aisles, mm. but also even for me it's like it's easier for me to find if it's all that like, I'm not interested in that other stuff, and I'm only going to buy the vegan stuff. So mm. possibly in both could be um mm. as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I definitely agree with those points regarding normalization, and yeah, I guess there's um yeah there's <laughs> I, I guess a a academic concept which is hegemony which is the mm. idea that it's like it's not that just we choose something over another it's like the alternative isn't even an option it's not even yeah. considered and I, yeah. I feel like um like animal products are losing their hegemony mm-hmm. like so it's like now it's like yeah a lot of people drink cow's milk but it's often like even that word cow's milk is some like do you want cow's milk almond milk mm. etc that i yeah. think is really important rather than milk and then the other ones have a label yeah. and i think even the fact that like that's starting to be challenged yes yeah, some people drink cow's milk but some people drink almond some people drink soy mm. etc like that that is a really um significant step and there's been pushback by the dairy industry to only use that word milk dairy so they're really they want to maintain that but i feel that that is already been challenged i think that could further do that it's like am i having the plant-based meats or the animal-based meats or whatever however people want to word it so i think that that is really important yeah Mm. yeah completely uh any final thoughts before we go that either of you had that we haven't got to no no okay mm-hmm. well we're going to finish up with the track um no dominion by the hip-hop artist vegan hip-hop artist soul um and this is from the album destituent uh, and yeah i mean this song is basically about the idea of dominion over animals and yeah i guess this is an idea that often um comes in from religion like this idea of dominion over animals also it talks about like dominion sort of hierarchies more generally as well uh, I did want to mention uh, a bit of a content warning that does talk about some of the unfortunate features of the dairy industry, including the stealing of milk and also sexual assault of cows in the dairy industry. So there's a brief mention of that in the song in terms of um, a bit of a content warning. Uh, also, some quick plugs for our show as well. So a reminder, our show is one till two every Sunday. Uh, you can tune in on 8.55am in Melbourne and we're also streamed live via the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. So you can listen live uh, from anywhere around the world via that website. You can also give us uh, feedback on uh, via email at info at freedomofspecies.org as well as on Facebook or Twitter. Um, and yeah, I think that's about it. Uh, welcome again to the team, Harley. Thanks for coming in. Yay. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> and thanks for coming in as well, Adam. Uh, and so, yeah, we're going to finish up with this track, uh, No Dominion Soul, and we'll be back next Sunday. No time like the present, no presence to come. Nothing is promised to hold, unless 
it was one press the bandage of the conflict still raging from kings that never got hung in the peasants that did bring back the wooden gods of yore the rituals they have that bound them all to the land crusaders you're an aberration to many generations you've been listening to a 3cr podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3cr in melbourne australia For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.